0: and welcome to the Narrow Road Podcast, a place to share the journey of walking with God on the narrow road that leads to life. I hope that you find rest and encouragement here, but above all, the awareness that you're not alone on the way. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Narrow Road Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Bowyer. It's my pleasure to be back with you for another episode as we continue on in 365 days of podcasting. Tonight, I want to read to you a little bit out of a book that I'm working through at the moment. It's a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. And it has already absolutely hooked me. It's so fascinating and I think it has, it will be and already is very helpful to me in the current season of life that I've been in. If you've been following this podcast for any length of time, you know that I've gone into some of the difficulty that the last three years have, has held for me. And it's been a really, really unique and difficult season. So I just wanted to read a little bit about what she begins the book really in talking about when we walk in the dark um, sort of as Christians, as believers, the reality is is we've we talk so much about darkness and the negativity of darkness, failing to fully understand that God created both light and darkness, and that there are times and seasons in our lives that feel really, really dark, even while we're in God and with God. And I feel like her message is is to redeem our perspective of the hard times and the difficult times that we live in. However, I keep talking about her. Let me just give some context for the author. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor, and she's actually a New York Times bestselling author, teacher, and Episcopal priest. She wrote a memoir called Leaving Church in 2006, but this was her most recent book that I know of, Learning to Walk in the Dark, which she released in 2014. Um, She served on the faculty of Columbia Theological Seminary, um, Handler School of Theology at Emory University. She was a 2014's, on, 20, on Time Magazine's list of most influential people in the year 2014 and was named Georgia Woman of the Year in 2015. So she was basically a, an incredible author Uh, in the things of faith, talking about the things of faith, and I find the way she writes to be particularly beautiful and clear, and she can really take these quite complicated concepts and make them make sense so far. Like I said, I haven't read the entire book yet, but I just really, really, really felt inclined to share this little wee bit to to my listeners, and I hope that if you're going through any season that feels quote-unquote dark, that this would actually bring some peace to your soul. So let's get started. Okay, I'm going to read from the very near end of the second chapter called The Fear of the Lord, and I'm going to go ahead and just dive right in. She writes, I like to think that I learned as much about human nature, waiting tables, as I did writing papers for my seminary professors. One happened in the dark and one happened in the light, but together they offered me a better education in the mysterium tremendum that I could ever have gotten by attending just one of them. Later, when I stood in front of an altar waving incense, I would remember standing in front of the bar at Dante's restaurant waving cigarette smoke out of my face, and the exact same feeling of tenderness would wash over me, because the people in both places were so much alike— We were all seeking company, meaning, solace, self forgetfulness. Whether we ever found those things or not, it was the seeking that led us to find each other in the cloud, even when we had nothing else in common. Sometimes I wondered if it even mattered whether our communion cups were filled with consecrated wine or draft beer, as long as we bent over them long enough to recognize each other as kin. Now when I listen to people talk about light and darkness, it is easy to become despondent about the odds of redeeming the dark. That was a really dark movie, a friend says, describing a film in which the villain killed people as casually as as he picked his teeth. I'm in a dark place right now, another says while she waits for the results of a pathology report. Jesus is the light of the world, someone else says to her by way of consolation. Just remember that. Even when it's so dark you can't see God, God can still see you. I can't remember the last time I heard anyone use dark to describe something good. Fear of the dark has been sanctified in so many people's minds that I have to define my terms not once, but over and over again, because without constant reminders that darkness is not a synonym for mortal or spiritual danger, most people I know revert to the equation without even thinking about it. It is as if they have a default setting for darkness in their minds that automatically resets every time the sun comes up. In the full light of day, darkness becomes the most convenient place for them to store all their shadows. Their fear of the unknown, their anxiety about the future, their loathing of their own helplessness, their bottomless dread of death. If darkness really does bring such phantoms out of hiding, I think that is because the bright distractions of daytime have come to their natural end. When the sun goes down, it is time for another natural thing to happen, as the slower, quieter, and more tactile rhythms of nighttime open doors that remain shut during the day. No doubt there are frightening things behind some of those doors, but there are also stunning things. Eventually, with some practice, one learns that all these doors open on the same room. I form light and create darkness, God says to the prophet Isaiah. I make weal and create woe. The way most people talk about darkness, you would think that it came from a whole different deity, but no. To be human is to live by sunlight and moonlight, with anxiety and delight, admitting limits and transcending them, falling down and rising up. To want a life with only half of these things in it is to want half a life, shutting the other half away where it will not interfere with one's bright fantasies of the way things ought to be. Though my intrigue with physical darkness preceded the dread of metaphysical darkness I picked up in church, I am not insensible to the dangers of darkness. I have worked emergency rooms and county jails, slept in tents with wild things snuffling outside, and visited inmates on death row. Though I have never been the victim of a violent crime after dark, I know people who have. One bought a trained German shepherd that went everywhere with her after that. Another bought a gun. I'm not sure what I would do. Although some of my experiences with darkness have been life-threatening, none have involved another person who wished to do me harm. One night on the outer banks of North Carolina, I walked off the end of a dock in the dark and landed 13 feet below on a driftwood board with nails in it. While lying there waiting for my breath to come back, I remembered the yellow tape I had stepped over on my way toward the sound of the ocean, a warning that half the dock had been washed away by a hurricane earlier in the season. That was when it came to me that learning to walk in the dark might involve some actual skills and not simply bravado. When we run from darkness, how much do we really know about what we are running from? If we turn away from darkness on principle, doing everything we can to avoid it because there is simply no telling what it contains, isn't there a chance what we are running from is God? Moses knew God as well as anyone ever had, yet God did not tone anything down for him. The mountain shook like it was about to be blown apart. The cloud at the top of the mountain was so thick that even Moses could not see inside it. Anyone else who even tried would die. God said, and Moses went away. He took the full dose of divine darkness and lived to tell about it, though God would remain a tremendous mystery to him for the rest of his life. After all they had been after all they had been through the plagues the parting of the sea the pillars of cloud and fire in the wilderness god prevented moses from entering the land of promise you broke faith with me god said at the end although you may view the land from a distance you shall not enter it it is hard to get from a story like that to a bumper sticker that says god is love what would moses say to people who feel free to ask god for good weekend weather and safe travel to away games the God of Moses is not the grandfatherly type, a kind old deity who can be counted on to take the kids exciting places without letting them get hurt. The God of Moses is holy, offering no seat belts or other safety features to those who wish to climb the mountain and enter the dark cloud of divine presence. Those who go assume all risk and give up all claim to reward. Those who return say the dazzling dark inside the cloud is reward enough. I don't have a lot of final thoughts on that passage of her book. I just wanted to introduce it, really. I wanted it to be heard because I think it is a fascinating take on darkness. It is a redemptive take on darkness, on the way that we see it and perceive it, and on the way that we fear it. And so I'm still chewing on it myself. I find it absolutely fascinating, absolutely enthralling. And I need to read the rest of the book before I'm going to have more to say on the matter, but I just wanted to introduce it. I wanted to put it in your hearing and really just leave it with you to consider the reality of who God is, the holiness of God, the fact that he created both, the fact that he wants us to assume the risk, so to speak. I love that quote. The God of Moses is holy, offering no seat belts or other safety features to those who wish to climb the mountain and enter the dark cloud of divine presence. Those who go assume all risk and give up all claim to reward. Those who return say the dazzling dark inside the cloud is reward enough. Woo that's enough to give you <laughs> some goosebumps that's it's that's woof it's mighty it's really, really awesome and it And when I read it through the first time, I just felt like a weight lift off, like a a bit of, it's like a weight lifted off of me and a bit of understanding rested on me. So I hope that it will do something similar to you. I hope that perhaps if you're going through a season that feels quote unquote dark, you might find solace in reading the book, learning to walk in the dark. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there for tonight. I thank you so much for listening to the Narrow Road podcast, and I look forward to being back with you tomorrow for another episode. Thank you, and bye-bye.